He's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth, the world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. truth. Welcome, welcome. You're now listening live to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. I'm in the building. I'm in the building solo. Besides my my engineer, Mr. Andrew here. Hello. My partner, Greg Biggins, is not available today. He's working hard with Scout 247 with signing day. Our early signing day coming up tomorrow, December 20th. So he's not in studio today with me, but we will be hearing from him um, in a phone interview calling from his home in Huntington Beach, uh, talking to us about the latest and greatest in recruiting, what we can expect for tomorrow's um, first national early signing day. But uh, he's not here with me today. I'm kind of rocking solo bolo, and we're going to get this thing popping right off the top. Get ready for recruiting news. The Transparent Truth Recruiting Report. All right, we want to bring along my good friend, my co-host, not in studio today, but always in my heart, GB, calling us from Huntington Beach, his hometown, but going to share a little recruiting love. GB, what you got for us? I'm in the building. You are in the you are You are not in the building. Yeah, you are. Westminster, next to, what is this? I got a big Boeing plant next to me. <laughs> What's up, Keith? That's a lot of, lot of information. Too, too much information. Yeah, it's a ton. It's a ton. One of those daddies going to come find you. No, I mean, listen, man, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, man. We got a great show rocking today. I know there's a lot of recruiting movement out there. National Signing Day for the early signers is tomorrow, dropping tomorrow, which is would be today because this will air on Wednesday. But what do you got for us, man? Yeah, so obviously tomorrow, class today, it's going to be the big day, so we'll preview some of those announcements and, uh, you know, see how accurate we can be. We did have several commitments in the last week, so why don't we discuss those for a bit? How about just kind of hot off the presses? Actually, it's not really hot because it's two days ago when this aired, but how about some guy, Bo Calvert, Oak Christian linebacker, coming in and a uh, long-time USC commitment. He went ahead. We kind of saw it coming. Uh, you know, USC has so many linebackers that it kind of sense was that at some point, Bo and, and USC we kind of mutually go their separate ways. When Chip Kelly came in, uh, Bo said he got a call right away. It was invited on campus this past weekend for an official visit. They loved it. Uh, he was going to announce on signing day, but it kind of leaked out ahead of time. But Bo Calvert is going to UCLA. He's going to play outside linebacker in their 3-4 system. What do you think about that, Coach Keith? Hey, I, I love it. I love it because Bo is a former safety who's grown into a linebacker. He's maintained the athleticism. He has the length. He's aggressive. He's got great size at about six foot four and two hundred and thirty pounds. I think he's an excellent fit in that three four defense and a great flip for UCLA and Chip Kelly. Yeah, they need, they needed linebackers really bad. You know, they had three guys committed. They kind of, you know, when a new staff comes in, people say it might be kind of doggy dog, but it's it's the norm. Unfortunately, when a new staff comes in, they kind of maybe kind of say, hey, you guys aren't going to play here. So they they basically did that with all three guys. So they had zero. The linebacker commitment, and they only had uh, signed one guy last year. So right. it's a big area of need. They still need to probably get a couple of guys. But like you, I agree. I think Bo really fits that scheme. Three, four. 
I think it fits him well. Broke his leg this year, so hopefully he's got to he's got to you know recover it. And uh, also this past weekend on campus, the offer is his younger brother Josh Calvert. So we know you know he's a stud. He's going to play safety or Absolutely. linebacker. So they, obviously that probably gives them a little bit of a leg up. And uh, UCLA also was able to get it's kind of an older one, but we didn't discuss it last week. Was Chase Coda, the wide receiver, the legacy from Oregon is dead. Chad Coda was a stud. Uh, defensive back for the Oregon Duck team that went to the Rose Bowl. He went ahead and committed to UCLA over Oregon. Uh, and again, a big need for them was was wide receivers. They were able to get Brian Addison a week ago. Uh, now add Chase Coda to Kyle Phillips. Those are three guys that could definitely help the defense out. Uh, Chase Coda, Coach Keith, break him down. Yeah, Chase Coda, tremendous length and athleticism at six foot four. I mean, he's fluid and swift. He's got terrific speed. He's got amazing ball skills. I love his route running ability. He understands the small intricacies and nuances of creating separation, getting to the top of his route, really sitting down and coming back to the football. He's a terrific football player. Like you said, his dad was an excellent ball player at Oregon back in the day. Chase Cote on one side, Brian Addison on the other. With Cashmere Allen lined up next to Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Kyle Phillips in the slot. Man, that is a lethal combination of skill talent. UCLA is on the rise. Yeah, I mean, you have to go back to probably with the Bob Toledo, Kid McNown days. UCLA actually had some difference makers right back in the day with Deshaun Foster and Freddie Mitchell and Danny Farmer. It's been a long time, so it, you know, good for UCLA. Had a, a handful of quarterback flips. That's one position that you usually don't see a lot of guys flipping. Usually, quarterbacks kind of get locked in. But this year is kind of an odd year. Uh, start off with Adrian Martinez from Clovis West, longtime commitment to Tennessee. Actually, early commitment to Cal, but he flipped to Tennessee. And, and obviously, we know what happens there with Tennessee. Got a coaching change, and and uh, he kind of held out, wanted to meet the new staff. But he was the guy, the first guy that Scott Frost offered. The first day Scott Frost got the job, he offered Adrian Martinez. He took an official visit a week and a half ago. And then Adrian Martinez, who missed the whole entire senior year uh, with the shoulder injury. So he hasn't thrown it in, in a year, but he is going to be throwing balls at the University of Nebraska. And I'll, I'll name all these for you real quick, and then you can kind of comment on all of them, Keith. Uh, Matt Corral. Uh, we've talked about him quite a bit, but he flipped from Florida. Obviously, again, coaching change. New coach comes in. Uh, he wants his own guy. Matt wants to go somewhere where he's the guy. So he visited Ole Miss, and he committed to Ole Miss, flipping from Florida. Uh, also had a guy we've talked about a, a handful of times, another California quarterback, Spencer Petrus, big kid, 6'5", 6'6", huge arm. He committed uh, Oregon State, flipped from Oregon State, excuse me, to Iowa. So he's going to go play in the Big Ten. Long-time Oregon State commit again. Comes back to a coaching change, right? New sure. coach comes in, Jonathan Smith. Spencer Petrus is now going to uh, to Utah. And then, uh, not a flip yet, but we think it's going to happen at some point, uh, Zach Wilson from Draper. Yep. He's kind of been a long-time Boise State commit. Ironically, he was set to visit Iowa the day that Petrus flipped to Iowa. So he actually canceled that trip, went to BYU. He is a uh, LDS family He's not going to sign. Uh, it, I, but you know what? He is going to sign early. My bad. He is going to sign early, and uh, and everyone's guess and, and our guess is going to be uh, BYU for Zach Wilson. So uh, and kind of stay with the quarterback theme one last time. You know, Boise State kind of moved quickly 
uh, after losing Zach Wilson, and they offered Brock Purdy just a couple of days ago from Chandler High School. He was the Gatorade State Player of the Year. Yep. Uh, but really under recruited. You know, about six feet, six and a half. But you watch his film, it looks like a little Doug Flutie out there running around, making plays. He drew for 4,000, rushed for over 1,000. Uh, a really good looking quarterback, but just under recruited because of that size. But Boise State went on him. I think he's a perfect Boise State guy. Uh, and I think Purdy will wait till February. He's not going to do it early because it literally just happened. He hasn't even visited campus yet. So a lot of dominoes right there that, that I mentioned. So Keith, Adrian Martinez, Matt Corral, Spencer Petrus, uh, Zach Wilson, Brock Purdy. What do you think about all those guys? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good group, and that's a pretty big list. But if I could cherry-pick a couple guys, let's start off with, with Matt Corral. Uh, I've been following Matt since he was a freshman and I broke down his freshman tape, and I just thought the world of him. And sophomore year, he was huge and big time. I thought he had some struggles his junior year. His senior year, I thought he was a bit up and down. SC commit, then a Florida commit, going to sign with Ole Miss. He's kind of just trying to find a home for himself. And hopefully Ole Miss is that home for him. We all know about the electricity in his right elbow. I mean, the guy can sling it with the best of them in the country. Can he make good decisions without it being clean in the pocket? That's going to be the telling story for Matt Corral down the road. Hopefully um, he can be groomed and hopefully he can be taught and learn how to make better decisions under duress. Zach Wilson, really like him, former Boise State commit. You said BYU is pretty much locked in with him. I know Oregon State's making a huge push with Jonathan Smith as their head coach. They're making a huge push for Zach Wilson. I don't know if they're going to get it done, but I, I like this kid. He's not just a game manager. The guy is a ball distributor. He can get the ball out on time and on target to all three levels of the field. I really like his accuracy as a quarterback. I think he's a big-time player. Uh, Spencer Petros, a big physical quarterback. Uh, we've talked about him a lot on this on the show this year. Very, very productive. You say he's going down to Iowa to go play for Kirk Ferentz down in you know Big Ten country. I mean, I mean that's a that's a big difference from playing here on the West Coast. It's going to be interesting to fit. Uh, but Iowa is known for having quarterbacks who protect the football, make great decisions. Uh, they allow the run game to kind of lead the offense, and they love play action pass. So he might be a a good fit in that situation right there. Um, Adrian Martinez, a kid I saw at Future 50 last January, and the guy can run it, the guy can throw it. Again, coming off of an injury, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how he progresses coming off that injury. A shoulder injury is not a anything to play with in terms of a you know, quarterback or a pitcher. Anybody that's throwing, using their arm to throw something, you're going to need a healthy shoulder. But Nebraska, they have guys in the fold already, a former quarterback uh, from out here who played at San Juan Hills. I'm, I'm forgetting his name right now, but uh, they have him. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick O'Brien, there you go. They have him yeah. already in the fold. So Adrian Martinez, he's not going to be expected to come in and play right away. He's going to need some time to continue to heal, continue to get bigger and get stronger, um, and make sure that that shoulder is right before he steps on the football field. But I think it's a great fit. A great, great fit for Scott Frost and what he wants to do like he did at Oregon as an OC and at Central Florida um, as the head coach. So just uh, another, you know, getting away from the quarterback position for a second, um, how big was this? Washington Huskies flipping linebacker Brandon Cajon. You and I have talked about this before. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of Pal Iagatiote, one of the best I've ever seen. But shoot. 
you know, Kaho is, is right there in the mix as, you know, you can make an argument, the number one linebacker in the country at, at worst, he's a top three, top five guy, uh, took, you know, a lot of trips, looked at USC, went there multiple times. Again, long-time BYU guy. Alabama was all over this guy. A lot of schools, everybody was all over the guy, but he's going to the Washington Huskies, took his official visit this past weekend. What kind of impact do you feel this kid could have in that Husky program? Immediate impact. Big immediate impact. This kid is as good as any linebacker in the country. I can put my stamp on it right now. He's going to play as a freshman, as an inside linebacker. I'm legit six foot two, 225 pounds, can run like the wind, hit like a Mack truck, and is smarter than people may give him credit for. Spent some time with Brandon Cajo this past offseason. Terrific kid, okay. Great human being. Comes from an excellent family. His father is a top-notch guy. Brandon Kyle is going to be ready to play, and I expect him to start as a true freshman. Those are my expectations for him when he gets up to Seattle and plays for the Huskies. Also had Chris Mitchell, kind of the other corner, kind of gets lost a little bit in the shadows, playing opposite OG Elijah Griffin. But Chris Mitchell, not a bad player in his own right. He's a corner slash. You know, safety can play either spot, but he committed to Boise State. Again, how do you think he fits in with that Bronco defense that you know pretty darn well? I got a couple guys over there on that defense. I've been watching them a lot this year. Yeah. Uh, Chris Mitchell in Boise State's defense. Boise State plays a variety of coverage. They'll play man, they'll play a lot of zone. The great thing about Mitchell is he's a versatile guy, he's a guy that can play in the slot. As a zone dropper, he can play as a physical cover two corner, or he can play as a a cover two safety playing half the field. Mitchell is very, very athletic, a 40-inch vertical guy from the Nike camp, uh, but he's physical too, right? He can come downhill and he can bang you. There's no no question about it. So he's a terrific fit. I love his versatility, and Boise is known for taking those types of guys, those guys that can play multiple positions in the box, Outside the box, on the edge, he'll be a, a, a automatic fit with coverage units uh, as, a, as a freshman. And uh, they're doing excellent things with Southern California players. If you look at, you know, Pierce, DeAndre Pierce out there, you look at Jabril Frazier, you look at Curtis Weaver, both of those guys were uh, all Mountain West Conference selections. So, you know, Boise State, again, cherry picking their fit of player and athlete from Southern California. Chris Mitchell should have a very good career on the blue turf. Yeah, and I think they're going to get one more, too, as well on Wednesday. Tyreek LeBeau, the, the long 6-2 quarter from all Wow. Party. He's going to announce tomorrow, um, which means today. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's kind of weird because we're, we're taping this on Tuesday, but he's going to announce on signing day. And, and my guess, and I, I'd be very surprised, I think it's going to be Boise State. So, again, a couple of guys, a little bit underlooked for whatever reason. You know, Mitchell had some big early offers, but, you know, they – didn't stay with him, which is like people don't get your offer doesn't stay with you more than a day, right? You can <laughs> the next day that offer could be off the table. Absolutely, want to jump on it. So, but getting LeBeau and, and Mitchell, not a bad little one-two punch uh, right there. And then also, um, how about one of my favorite offensive linemen, Murray the Valley, Anthony Pardue? Yep. How is this for a steal? San Jose State is going to get him, and man, I think he's got a chance to be a two-, three-year starter for them and have a really good, productive Mountain West career out there for the Spartans. Yeah, there's no question about it. Pardue, we saw him put the clamp down on a couple premier defensive edge rushers this year. Pardue is a guy that you've been singing his praises all year long, GB, and he's done nothing but show you um, how good he really is. And 
I am on the Anthony Pardue bandwagon, a terrific pickup for San Jose State. He's going to need a year in the weight room, I believe. But I think after that, he may be on the field as a redshirt freshman offensive tackle very, very soon in probably that 2019 season. Yeah, they do a really nice job. You're in the Valley. If you, if you watch them, you, you see Hank Bachmeyer, you see Spike. But that offensive line always gives those guys a lot of protection, a lot of time to do some things. And then Tommy Tokia, maybe the highest uh, recruited player ever out of the state of Idaho in terms of just offers. Right. Uh, Tokyo had offers from, from everybody. And again, you don't see guys from Idaho with that many, but rumored to be kind of a Washington lead, but he went ahead and committed to, to the Ohio State University. So broke a lot of hearts out there in Seattle, but the Buckeyes got a big time D tackle prospect, Tommy Tokia. Yeah, I mean, a guy from Idaho going all the way to Buckeye country. That's interesting. Um, I thought, you know, he would probably be a Pacific Northwest guy. Washington, maybe Washington State, maybe Boise. But, uh, hey, how do you say no to Urban Meyer, right? I mean, the guys are recruiting. Yeah, the guys are recruiting juggernaut. Ohio State's one of the premier places in the country to play football and go to school. So, tough to argue that. Uh, So, congratulations to Tommy, and uh, he's going to go be a Buckeye. Yes, sir. And speaking of Buckeyes, one guy we kind of previewed last week, Palaea Gautiote, was supposed to visit Ohio State this past weekend, but he went ahead and actually canceled that visit. Keith, he is locked in for USC, saying no more visits. So, again, good for USC. Really good linebacker class they're going to bring in. Not sure who all those pieces are right now. They're kind of still accumulating them. A lot of targets to go, but always good to have your top guy on your board not taking visits. I don't care if I'm a coach and the kid says, hey, coach, don't worry, I'm coming. Man, when he's still taking trips, I'm still a little bit nervous, Keith. I don't care what the kid says. I'm still nervous until the kid actually says, okay, I'm done. No more signing. And I still want to see that piece of paper before I'm, not, I'm able to relax and take a, take a deep breath. Yeah, we're no longer engaged. We are married. We are no <laughs> we longer are engaged. Yet. That's right. I put a ring on it. So it's time for you to stay home instead of going out to the club, baby. So a whole bunch of announcements are coming down today, Wednesday. Um, so right now... Again, these announcements could happen most likely after this show. Start off with Julius Irvin. This has been a really weird recruitment. At different times, I kind of thought he was leaning toward different schools. At one point, I got a Washington vibe. We had him on the show, and I got a Washington vibe. And then it was USC. I heard he was locked in. He's going to USC. Well, shoot, over the weekend, all I heard, it was all Notre Dame. Wow. And if things hold... The next 48 hours, the next 24 hours, he will be going to Notre Dame. And the interesting thing was that the talk about this was, you know, USC actually wanted him to wait till February to sign. They kind of wanted to create this buzz, you know, a signing day splash. And I think Julius wanted to kind of do it early. Obviously, it was kind of a miscommunication, but I think that just little thing opened up the door for both Washington and Notre Dame to kind of get back in there. And, and now it sounds like Notre Dame might be the spot for him. So watch for that one to come out. I'm not sure exactly what time he's going to be announcing, but, again, that's going to be a, a, a big one. Another one, Jaden Woodby, longtime Ohio State uh, commit. He took a visit over the weekend to Florida State. Loved it. I, I still don't see him making that decision to go to Florida State. I, I think I think my, my feeling is he's going to go to USC. I, I think uh, – I think that's what he's going to be doing. That's I, I feel like that's uh, kind of where he, he's been looking for the last month or so. I, I talked to him after a game. I think after they beat Centennial in the semifinals, and I can just kind of tell, man, he had a USC vibe to him. And even though Florida State gave him a lot to think about, 
they literally just offered him a week ago, and he took that visit. And Jaden's yeah. a smart kid. I, I can't see him tripping out to a school and and committing just a few days later after having no contact. And I get, you know, new staff and Willie Taggart, he already kind of knew at, at Oregon. But, I mean, there's actually some buzz. Some people think he might be going to Florida State right now, which, again, if Florida State could pull this off, it'd be one of the bigger recruiting shockers of, of the decade for me. Again, it's, it's, it's hard. I know Florida State's got a, a ton of cachet. It's a big-time program. And Willie Taggart's a great recruiter. But, man, to offer a guy and a week later he's committing to you, when you have a hometown school that his dad went to USC, that would be a shocker for me. But, again, we'll find out. That's going to be a 5.30 p.m. announcement Wednesday night. You know what, Greg? It would be a shocker, and it's not normal. Jaden Woodby's a little different. <laughs> he's, a, he's a different type of guy. He's a different type of kid. And uh, I would not be shocked if he chose Florida State. I wouldn't be. So, I, so we'll, I would be. So we'll I see. would be. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Hey, so uh, Malik McClain, uh, again, kind of goes back to the Bo Calvert thing. I, I, this is always going to be like a trade. I, I think Malik McClain, longtime UCLA commit, but I think he is going to probably announce for USC on signing day. Took a visit uh, officially over the weekend. Really likes the staff over there. Really likes the vibe. He had a, uh, eight home visit that went really well. You saw these you know, pictures being tweeted out of him wearing USC gear doing the fight on song and everything I've been hearing from people over at J. Sarah is that he will likely be a, a guy who's going to sign early on Wednesday and it's going to be for USC. And, and they're bringing him in as a three or four outside linebacker. So kind of the same position that Bo Calvert's going to be playing for UCLA. Difference is, you know, McLean, um, you know, with the defensive end. So, you know, at, at USC, it's going to be a little bit more of an adjustment, kind of getting away from, you know, line scrimmage, playing not just with his hand all the time, kind of yep. playing in space a little bit, but we've both seen him. He's a good athlete, right? Absolutely. Looking at that tight end. So I, I get if it goes through, really nice pickup for USC. How about JT Shrout? Again, this is, you know, and I don't want to say it like a 24-hour decision, but this is kind of a last-minute deal. So yeah. Tennessee went ahead and offered him, and it was an interesting offer because obviously everyone goes, oh, with Tyson Helton, he's a West Coast guy. USC had zero contact. Tyson Helton had zero contact with Shrout. He didn't camp with USC. They never really showed any interest, so it's not like they have this relationship. But Tennessee offered, you know, about a hundred kids over a forty-hour period out west last week, and JT was one of them. So he took an official visit this past weekend to Tennessee, and loved it. Really, really loved it. Again, this is a kid who's been committed to Cal since the summer. That was, uh, you know, he did play as a junior. Yeah. So Cal was like his big offer, and. Now it looks like this one's kind of up in the air. He's going to be, he is going to sign on Wednesday between those two schools. My gut says it's still going to be Cal. Um, but I, I think people are, I think people in Berkeley are, are going to be sweating a little bit. I think that one, you, you, you never know. You know, the SEC can wow you. Tennessee can definitely wow a kid. So we will see what happens with that one. How about Panay Sewell? You a fan of Panay Sewell? Yeah, the big, the big offensive guard out of Utah. Absolutely. So he I'm here in Alabama, five. though, GB. I'm here in Alabama. I mean, I, I've, I've been, I've been saying Alabama as well. That's, uh, that's my, my crystal ball. I can't believe I actually said crystal ball. But yeah, that's a man a, car gotta violation. Got to be a company. I got to be a company guy now, <laughs> coach. But the, the thing is, so Oregon, you know, his lead recruiter obviously was Mario Cristobal. They got the last home visit. Mario Cristobal is now the head coach. I know the family really likes him a lot, so I'm not ready to, to move off of my prediction of Bama, but I will say, you know, I think there's some late buzz 
for Oregon as well. You know, those were his basically his final two schools. It's going to be an Oregon or Bama decision. Yeah. And you always want to be that last voice in a kid's ear. And like I said, you know, Oregon got that last that last home visit over the weekend before the dead period started. Mm-hmm. So we will see. You know, USC and USC and Utah are both kind of involved as well. Uh, Kyler Gordon, really elite athlete from Everett, Washington. He's a Washington Notre Dame battle and took his last visit to Washington. This is a kid who we've been hearing different things about for the last year. And I don't know if even, you know, Brandon Huffman, who that he owns that whole entire Northwest region, he's not even 100% sure what he's going to do. We thought he might have been a Notre Dame lean, you know, maybe a month ago. But now I think Washington getting the last visit, Heard a lot of, you know, they had 10 kids on campus, including Caho. All those guys kind of bonded together. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to definitely help out Washington that they had a bunch of commits and Caho and all that. I think that's definitely going to help Kyler. What could help Notre Dame is going back to what I said about Julius Irving. If Julius goes ahead and does follow through and commits to Notre Dame, Irving and Gordon kind of through the recruiting process have, have actually gotten to be somewhat close. They've talked on and off about wanting to play together. So, We'll see if that pushes Gordon to Notre Dame, if Julius does go ahead and pick Notre Dame, or if Tyler stays in state and plays for Coach Pete with the Washington Huskies. There's a lot one going more. on there. There's one. a lot going on there. Matt, one more. My yeah. voice is starting to die on me. Hang in there, Chief. How about Brayden Lindsey? Yeah, a, uh, very interesting. Commit. Yeah, yeah he, he's going to announce on Friday, not on Wednesday. He'll announce on Friday. He had a, a final three. Notre Dame, Oregon, UCLA. He never, never visited UCLA, so he scratched them off the list. It's going to be Oregon or Notre Dame. Uh, ironically, he was an early commitment to Notre Dame. Decided, you know, against that in June, flipped to Oregon, opened up his recruitment when Willie Taggart was let go, took an official visit to Notre Dame two weeks ago. He loved it. He's going to decide on Friday, Oregon, Notre Dame. Again, it, it's kind of interesting because right now, we don't know who the receiver coach is going to be at Oregon just yet. Mike Johnson, I don't believe, has been named yet. Um, I saw yesterday a bunch of names were uh, were given out as far as position coaches. I didn't see Mike Johnson or Keith Hayward, for that matter. So receiver DB coaches, I don't know uh, if Lindsey is going to want to pick Oregon without knowing his position coach. I know he loved Notre Dame. He already picked him once. He had a great visit. My gut tells me the Irish are going to land Lindsey. We will see on Friday. But, uh, again, that's going to be interesting to see. Does he go back to his first love, which is Notre Dame, or does he stay with Oregon, who he had been committed to since basically June, with predominantly the same staff, new head coach, but predominantly the same staff, but just that this indecisive, indecisiveness of knowing who the receiver coach is going to be as of right now. Sure. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. They, and then just, uh, just to finish it up, I was yeah. hoping you would uh, you'd help me out and give me a little bit more on, on Brayden Lindsay so I could catch my breath. Yeah, a bit. yeah, yeah. I mean, you were rolling. I was <laughs> just going to let you roll. But Brayden Lindsay, I mean, the guy's a two way guy, right? He's he's athletic. He's a playmaker. I know. Just his whole recruitment's been a little bit funny. So it'll be a, it'll be interesting to see where he signs tomorrow. I think it's going to be Notre Dame. Yeah, they need some yeah. guys. They need some athletes. Remember, Jordan Porter just decommitted. Um, they need they need more athletes over there in South Bend. I think Brayden Lindsey's a good fit. And there's about eight, eight. I, I would probably say eight of the top fifteen players out west are not going to sign early. They're still uh, they're still taking trips. They're still look, looking around. We'll go through this really really quick. Uh, I'm on Ross A. Brown. 
Again, I think he's a USC lean. He's visited Notre Dame. He's going to announce at the Army game. Um, again, right now, I think it'd be a little bit of a surprise if it was not USC. Solomon Tuliapupu, uh, also from modern day, he has taken visits. Uh, what, I, I know he took one to Hawaii, which was kind of weird, but Notre Dame is really high in his list. Ohio State's high in his list. He likes Oregon. I know UCLA is now trying to go hard. USC has always been a staple for him. So he's going to take his January uh, January trips. I don't think he's going to be uh, ready to go until maybe signing day. So Solomon's still on the board. Tanner McKee, yep. he's still on the board. Um, he had a uh, told me a great home visit last week with new Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher. So that's kind of a you know the the fit there is he already visited A&M and Jimbo Fisher had a guy uh, at Florida State, Jameis Winston, who. Tanner said he what I was one of his quarterbacks that he liked growing up. So uh, personally, I, I look at Tanner. I go, you know, you're kind of a more athletic Jameis Winston. No. Um, I, I, you can fit in any system. So Tanner likes, you know, really liked the A and M deal. He's taking his official visit that first open weekend of January to Stanford. I believe that's the twelfth. He's already been to Texas. He's already been to Alabama. Already been to Washington. He's going to take an, He'll take an unofficial trip to BYU sometime in January, and then he'll probably be a signing day decision again with Tanner. You know, he's going on his two-year more admission right out of high school, so sure. he's going to basically be uh, coming in with a 2020 class. Devin Williams, Isaac Taylor-Stewart, Jalen Hall, Elijah Griffin, Talanoa Hufanga. All those guys are still on the board. Of, the, of those group, uh, Elijah is the only one that's actually committed to a school. He's uh, kind of a soft used to like that. He just took an official visit over, uh, over the weekend to Tennessee and really loved it. Liked it a lot, but again... Tough for me to see him leaving the L.A. area. USC will get a trip. UCLA will get a trip. Michigan will get a trip. I think those are kind of the four schools that he likes a lot. Tennessee, USC, UCLA, and Michigan. And he'll probably take a fifth trip in there, too. Alabama's a possibility. So I think OG will probably be a signing day decision. Talanoa Hufanga, uh, I believe he's going to announce uh, after Christmas. USC, Oregon are his top two right now. And, uh, and then Devin Williams is a guy. He, I, I don't know why he hasn't committed yet. I have an idea. You know, he's, he's hasn't even taken any visits other than to Oregon. This past weekend, he had a chance to take an official visit, and guess where he was? He was in Vegas. Yeah, he was in Vegas watching Oregon play against Boise State. So I mean, kind of shows you he's got some a lot of love for the yeah. Ducks right now. But, yeah, no question. You know, my my guess with with Devin is he's uh, you know he's rated really high on the ESPN rankings, and I think he, they probably asked him to hold off and. And be in their signing day show, which you know ESPN really blows that up and does a yeah. a pretty good job with that. So sure. that's my guess why Devin hasn't already committed. Uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart again, A and M's involved, Bama's involved, USC is involved. Um, so he's going to be a signing day decision as well. And Jalen Hall, he's a really a tough read. He visited Oregon. Uh, I, I know uh, uh, he mentioned to be Georgia. We'll get a visit. Georgia actually is going to get a visit from Isaac Taylor Stewart as well. So Georgia is going to actually trip in both those two kids that January 12th weekend. ASU, Washington State, all those schools are pushing for Jalen Hall. And I could see I could see him at Oregon if they have a spot. And I think he might be a kind of a signing day decision as well. And that is it for an expanded version of recruiting notes. Yeah, the recruiting notes, man. I mean, hey, our <laughs> first early signing period in football, man. I mean, this is a little unprecedented, right? Um, it is unprecedented. And, right, in college Again, football. I'm curious. Yeah. Curious I'm, to see how it plays out. Absolutely. I'm very curious to see how it plays out and see who kind of fits where, see where some flips happen. Because you know what's going to happen, GB? It never fails. Yeah, yeah. And 
And I'm curious if they're going to make some tweaks because I don't know anybody who's super jacked yeah, I'm about not. this early yeah. signing. I mean, coaches aren't really happy with it, even though they voted it through. I think high school coaches feel stressed. The players are feeling stressed. Yeah, it's just it's just an odd time to have it in December when you have your February period just a couple of weeks later. Basically, spread it out. You know, that's what I think. Spread it out. Don't do it right now. And it's just I mean, if you're Oregon, you couldn't even host any kids on your final you know your final big weekend of December because you're playing in your bowl game. And uh, so it's it's causing, definitely causing a lot of stress. And uh, I, again, I, I could definitely see some tweaks. Between maybe even between this year and, and even next year, because I know that many people are unhappy about it. And if if Nick Saban wants some changes to it, then I definitely think there's going to be some changes to it. He kind of carries a lot of weight when yeah. it comes to the, the coaches' convention and all that good stuff. Well, yeah, well, widely considered the best college coach of all time. Yeah, he does carry a lot of weight. Well, <laughs> we appreciate you, GB. We kind of kind of get moving, but you're going to yeah, come back. You're going to come back um, and call in, and we're going to talk a little bit of modern day, maybe best ever. TBE? Maybe. 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 I mean, they should be in the discussion, right? So we'll, we'll talk about it. So uh, we appreciate you, though. GB giving us the recruiting latest and greatest signing day. Make sure you stay next to your computers. Keep your iPhone on alert. GB, we appreciate you. Yeah, man. Take care. Thanks for having me. Yep. yep. All right, we'd like to welcome in four-star Army All-American linebacker, recent UCLA commit, Bo Calvert, to the show. Bo, how you doing? What's up, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So I'm in studio today. I don't have my partner Greg Biggins, so I'm running the interviews. But um, you know, fresh, you know, hot off the presses. Bo Calvert, linebacker, outside linebacker, committed to USC. What happened? Yeah, you know, Keith. Um, going over these last couple months, um, I was really considering. You know, I committed to USC early my sophomore year. Um, you know, I was young i was 15 years old and um early to the recruiting process usc was um i think it was the third school that offered me and really was the first big school that offered me and um you know i kind of fell uh in love with usc when i was down there mostly uh due due to you know the glitz and glam of recruiting and you know i really hadn't been exposed to that and um you know i was kind of sucked into you know all the history and everything to do with usc and being a big time program so i committed right away and you know didn't really think about it and um as the years went on and uh you know i kind of grew up and and uh was more exposed to the recruiting process or began to really uh you know think about uh the possibility of going to usc and what that meant um you know so i started um reaching out to other schools and you know really considering um you know the the actuality of, of playing at USC and, you know, what that meant. And so through that, um, some other schools uh, offered me, you know, I picked up Notre Dame and Cal and a couple others, you know, when I got the Gallery All-American and a bunch of schools came forward, um, you know, that's when I realized that it was real and that it was time for me to pick a school to go to and, and play football. And, um, you know, U- UCLA came up uh, pretty recently with Chip Kelly Um you know, he he got to UCLA, and I think it was, uh, I think a day or maybe two days after he got there, he gave me a call and, and he offered me, and I was their first linebacker that the you know the new staff had offered, and um, you know that kind of uh, made me really consider going to UCLA just because the fact that you know they were coming after me hard, and and uh, it was going to be a program where um, you know they were recruiting me specifically to play in their style of, 
of uh, a defense, and that was something that I really uh, saw intriguing. How do you think you fit in the newly kind of minted 3-4 UCLA defense that they're going to showcase uh, in 2018? Yeah, you know, I think um, you know the thing that comes sort of naturally for me, my bread and butter is coming off the edge, um, you know, coming after the quarterback. Um, I think that in the, in the UCLA 3-4 scheme, I'll play um, sort of more of like a, um, an athletic outside linebacker that can, you know, bump and cover the tight end, um, but also at the same time be able to use me, um, be able to rush off the edge and, and also be able to be there for run support. Um, they talked about later on, um, you know, depending on how things go, also putting me um, sort of in that um, Mike backer position where I would actually be responsible for, you know, the hook and curls and um, sort of the shorter routes over the middle just because because of my height and uh, athleticism as a linebacker that, you know, that's the kind of position that they've um, had a lot of success with and they saw me playing at that. No, I, I think that might be a good fit. There's a there's a certain linebacker that plays at Boise State right now, and it's Leighton Vander Esch. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, yeah. But you and him remind me of each other. Leighton was a – he played eight-man football in high school, but he was more of a safety, just kind of like you were early in your high school career, and he's grown into a linebacker and is one of the best players in the country now. I can definitely see you kind of fit in that mold moving forward. What What can UCLA fans expect from you when you get to Westwood, are you going to be healthy enough to contribute as a true freshman, or will you need another year off there to really uh, recover and rehab that leg? Yeah, no, the recovery has gone really well, actually. Um, you know, I had the injury in early October, um, broke my tibia and my fibula, and uh, ha- actually had surgery the next day. Um, and it was pretty crazy. Um, as soon as you get from surgery, they actually want you to walk on it just because the, the rod, there's a rod in my tibia and it can support the bone. And so uh, I think it was two days after the surgery, I was putting weight on it. And uh, about a week after, I was just walking around. Um, you know, there's still some pain, but walking around normally with, with no brace, no crutch, anything. And it's really uh, progressed quickly over the last uh, month and a half or so that um, I've been injured. And you know, get, being able to get in the weight room and lift upper body and all that and be able to work mobility in my lower half. Um, I've really kind of moved quickly along the process, along um, as far as what they expected. I'm, I'm way ahead of schedule. Um, I have complete mobility now, and now it's just really just getting strength back in my leg. Just got cleared a couple of weeks ago to start working um, lower half of my body as far as weights go and working into a squat position and all that good stuff. So, it's going great, and I think that by early February, um, I'll be able to be uh, running full speed. I'm jogging and side shuffling now and doing all that. But as far as cutting and, and you know breaking down and everything, probably early February is when I'll be able to be 100% as far as moving around the field. And, you know, it's just from now until when I get to UCLA, it's just all about building as much strength and speed as I can. Now, UCLA's got a couple, their eyes on a couple 2019 prospects from Oaks Christian. Your brother, Josh Calvert being one, the other five-star defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau. What role are you going to play in terms of recruiting those guys? Yeah, you know, I'd love to play with my brother and, and with KT again. I think we had a really strong bond that we um, created at Oaks and um, definitely would love to continue that at UCLA. Uh, I'm not going to put any sort of pressure on my brother to, you know, force to come play with me, but I, if the possibility is there, you know, they're – They've offered them, and they've offered KT, of course, and those guys are both outstanding players, and 
if they want to come, yeah, I'm going to come uh, full speed at them and, you know, be another recruiter on top of that. Um, but uh, as far as Josh, that's up to his decision. And, you know, I'm not going to try and tamper his recruiting in any way. But if he wants to, yeah, he'll be there. That sounds good. Last question. What do you think about this UCLA recruiting class for 2017? It seems like a special group is coming to Westwood. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I've noticed is, as far as being with the recruiting class when I was down there is that um, everybody's just got that hardworking sort of uh, get your hard hat on and, and get out and work type of mentality. And I think that's something special that you, know, you really find um, in a lot of programs, um, especially with the fact that it's not like this recruiting class is, is you know, low-level guys. We're talking about four- or five-star guys. Um, who are also extremely hard workers and are ready to get after it. And so I think the possibility of, of this 2018 class coming up and playing early and being a big-time factor in, in um, the defense and the offense um, early on is a real possibility, and it's going to be one of the deciding factors that you know turns UCLA football back to where it needs to be. Well, boy, it sounds like you and the UCLA Bruins got big-time plans moving forward. I appreciate you joining the Transparent Truth. Good luck this offseason. Continue to get healthy. And uh, we'll be looking forward for big things from you come fall of 2018. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Go Bruins. Bo Calvert, four-star linebacker, Oaks Christian High School, Army All-American, and UCLA commit. Thanks a lot, Bo. Thanks again. All right, we appreciate Bo Cower for coming on. We want to move along to our top performers this week. State championship top performers, big-time players stepping up, making big-time plays and big-time games. And I want to shout you out. Starting off, Folsom High School. Was anybody better this weekend than quarterback Caden Bennett, the junior 2019 quarterback? Threw for 327 yards, four touchdowns, ran for 147 and two touchdowns, and was an absolute dual-threat dynamo. He was big-time, wasn't no question about it. His wide receivers, he's got a couple of them. Joe Nagata, who I really love as a prospect, five catches for 98 yards. And wide receiver Elijah Badger, five catches for 102. I thought Folsom played a big-time game. I thought they took it to Helix. Helix fought for a while. They had some top performers as well. Carson Baker, the quarterback, uh, newly offered from San Diego State, 322 yards, three touchdowns. But like this little guy, Isaiah Wooden, five foot nine, slot receiver, five, excuse me, seven catches, 172, and a touchdown. I thought he showed out. Also, the San Diego section player of the year, wide receiver Rashad Scott, the San Diego State commit. Seven receptions, 117, and a touchdown. Running back, Eli Noya, the sophomore, 28 carries for 124. And then the five-star, Isaiah, excuse me, Isaac Taylor Stewart. Ten tackles, an interception, and also a touchdown run. Great game between Folsom and Helix. We'll get a chance to recap that, or excuse me, I'll get a chance to recap that as kind of as we move forward here. But a great game nonetheless. Let's take it to the St. Francis game versus Grace Brethren. Tough game to watch. Uh, very stagnant. Wasn't a lot of offense. St. Francis came away with the victory. I think it was 22 to 13. Uh, my top performer for St. Francis was Daryl Page. 25 carries, 103 yards. For Grace Brethren, their top performer was Justin Skidmore. 10 tackles and a TFL. Wasn't a ton of offense there. It was a little bit of a boring game. It was hard to watch. My two-year-old was running around yanking on my ear and jumping on my back and 
I just kind of tuned out after a little while, but St. Francis gets the W and NorCal up 2-0. Let's slide down to Narbonne. Narbonne playing a very, very tough game versus Pittsburgh. Narbonne, and we'll talk about this later, gets down earlier, comes back to win it. Running back Jamar Jefferson shows up again with a huge performance, 158 yards and two touchdowns, really leading the charge for Narbonne. Jalen Chapman with a late touchdown throw for the go-ahead score. And defensive back DeMonte Peoples, the senior, had an interception to seal the win towards the end of the game. Great job by Narbonne. Well, I'll take it to the big one over the weekend, modern-day De La Salle. At least we thought it was going to be big. It is the open division. It was pretty much a route. For De La Salle, Kyrie Robinson, I thought he played physical. 15 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Luke Freeman, the defensive end, a sack and a half. But modern day, too much to handle and too cold to hold. JT Daniels, 293 yards and five total touchdowns. Three in the air and two on the ground. Amon Ross St. Brown, eight catches, 137 and two touchdowns. Sophomore defensive back Zion Alafacio, an interception for a touchdown that really put the game out of reach. And senior linebacker Jack Genova, 15 tackles, finished his senior year off with a CIF championship, a state championship, and 15 tackles in his final high school game. So shout out to Jack, doing a great job. Really quickly, want to shout out and show some love to the city section. Crenshaw High School, Isaiah Johnson, the quarterback. Let me tell you something. This guy puts up big-time touchdown numbers week in and week out. Crenshaw doesn't win the city championship, but they win a state championship on the right arm of Isaiah Johnson, who threw for five touchdowns to lead Crenshaw to a state title. So congratulations to all our top performers. They all did a very, very nice job. Want to move along? We got a sleeper of the week. It's time for our sit and sleep sleeper of the week. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price, or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. Want to show some love to my sleeper of the week. I've got two of them. Two seniors that I think need some recruiting love and attention. Um, Two guys that I think are good football players. Um, And I think they, they showed that in the state championship games. Linebacker Jack Genova at modern day. Team captain, senior leader, big-time student, excellent linebacker, can play the run, can play the pass. He's athletic enough to play in space. Just an all-in-all good football player. And also DeMonte Peoples, the six-foot-one defensive back out of Narbonne. I like this kid. He's lean, he's long, he's athletic, and he plays with a lot of confidence. DeMonte Peoples, Narbonne High School, Jack Genova, Transparent Truth, Sleeper of the Weeks.
We're going to move along to our game recaps of the state championship. Very, very interesting. Um, this is not going to be a long segment. We'll just kind of, kind of go through this really quickly. Folsom, they were pretty much in control versus Helix the entire game. Um, Helix, a valiant effort. They've got really good football players. We talked about Wooden. We talked about Scott, Noah, Isaac Taylor, Stuart Carson, Baker. They've got a, they've got a really good team. They were in the state championship for a reason. But they just could not get over the hump against Folsom. Caden Bennett was too much running and throwing the ball. Those receivers are athletic. They're strong. They broke a couple tackles for touchdowns. But, man, Bennett was dynamic. Um, and the Folsom defense... I thought they played well in spurts, but Carson Baker did a really nice job for Helix, bringing them back. He threw for three touchdowns. And they got athletes on the outside that can make plays. It was a very, very competitive, highly contested game. But Folsom gets the W, gets the state championship, and uh, they're rolling. They're rolling. They, uh, I'd be remiss to not acknowledge their last kind of five years or so um, really almost 10 years or so as a state power. Folsom is a very, very good football team and a great program. That coach over there is doing an excellent job. They get the W. Again, they bring home the state title. So shout out to Folsom. They did a nice job. We got an interview with Caden Bennett coming up after this segment. So stick around. You're going to want to listen to that. The quarterback who's thrown for 4,000 and ran for over 1,000 this year, this year and then bringing this team a state championship. Let's move down. Again, to the St. Francis Grace Brethren game. Again, tough game to watch. Tried to sit up and watch it. Just teams weren't really moving the ball. Page had a little bit of money on the ground against that Grace Brethren defense. But, man, it was tough sledding kind of for both teams. And it just could not keep my attention considering I had three kids at home. But, again, St. Francis of Mountain View, they get the job done. Uh, great year for Grace Brethren. CIF championship, regional championship. They get to the state. They can't pull it out, but my hat is off to them. Excellent job by the Grace Grace Brethren group over there in Simi Valley. They've got a young team, Brandon Jones, Seven McGee. They'll be back next year to make another run for the state championship. But nonetheless, St. Francis gets it done for NorCal. And at that at this point right now in the broadcast, NorCal was up 2-0. 2-0, and, and I'm texting Greg Biggins and Thompson. Man, SoCal, we're stinking up the joint. Speaking about stinking up the joint, let's take it to the Narbonne-Pittsburgh game. Wow, Pittsburgh jumps out to a 21-0 lead. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe Narbonne's being done like this. Now, I watched this Pittsburgh team versus Corona Centennial early in the year, and they were down 35-0 in the first quarter getting stomped. Now, we know Narbonne got handled by Centennial as well, but I thought Narbonne was coming in ready to play. Big factor in this game, though, was the weather, the inclement weather. The wind was blowing hard. If you tried to punt, the ball would only travel five yards. So, essentially, the opposing team was getting the ball inside your red zone almost and ready to score. Pittsburgh goes up 21-0. The quarterback is running and throwing. Narbonne's not tackling anybody. They're looking like they just got off of a seven-hour bus ride to Sacramento. And uh, Pittsburgh looks like they're going to walk away with this thing. Second quarter begins. The game starts to flip. The win is now at Narbonne's back. Quarterback Jalen Chapman is just trying to push the ball downfield. But really, on the legs of Munchie, Jamar Jefferson, Narbonne 
yields a comeback. It's 21 to 10 at halftime. Narbonne gets a touchdown field goal in the second quarter. Third quarter, Narbonne goes up behind Munchie. Another long touchdown run. They take the lead on a Jalen Chapman touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter. And as they're up, uh, Pittsburgh's trying to come back, throwing with the wind at their back. And my guy, the sleeper of the week, one of our sleepers of the week, DeMonte Peoples, picks one off, secures the state championship, and Narbonne with his second state championship in three years. Congratulations to Coach Manny Douglas and the Narbonne Gauchos and the dynasty that they have created over there on Western. Big time stuff by those guys. Can't say it enough. It's not easy to win a state championship, and they've won two out of the last three years. I think nine of the last ten city championships. So, wow, it's been so impressive what Narvon has done. And uh, just a quote by Manny Douglas in the newspaper says, he doesn't know how much longer he's going to be doing this, but he sure is having a great time. It'd be interesting to see what that what that means moving forward, but nonetheless, the Gauchos getting it done. It's now 2-1. to one. From what I was watching, NorCal was up 2-1. to Narbon gets a W for SoCal. Want to move down to the big one, the Open Division Championship, Modern Day De La Salle. We talked last week to Nate Kenyon. He talked about how last year's De La Salle team wasn't a normal De La Salle team. He felt better about this year. Well... I understand you're feeling better, Big Nate, but let me tell you something. Those modern-day Monarchs are something special. Before you know it, it's 21-0 first quarter. Modern-day is taking De La Salle behind the woodshed and absolutely pimp-slapping them. It is ugly. To finish the game, De La Salle, I think he has six turnovers, six fumbles, maybe seven total turnovers, and they absolutely get obliterated by over 30 points. JT Daniels sat in the pocket all day, made throws, made runs. He had five total touchdowns. Amon Ra was it was just abusing the De La Salle defensive back. They could not stay with him whatsoever. They had no chance. He caught for 137 and two touchdowns. A pick six by a young shark, Zion Alafazio, Alafazio, with the pick six early in the third quarter when I thought De La Salle started to have some momentum. But he killed that momentum quick. Pick six, and and the, and the Sharks are swimming in the end zone. And then, of course, Jack Genova, our other sleeper of the week, 15 tackles against that Veer. Um, it was a difficult, difficult game for De La Salle. I mean, they were getting two yards a pop, if that, on the ground. They didn't have very many explosive plays at all. Modern day, on the flip side of that, I mean, anytime they wanted to, they'd get the ball out to Amon Ross St. Brown, and he was just doing work versus the secondary at De La Salle. Brew McCoy caught a touchdown. It was a mismatch. Plain Sim was a mismatch. They did not belong on the same field. I knew that going in. And uh, modern day, they go wire to wire. Wire to wire, 15-0. They start off as number one in the nation. A lot of expectations, a lot of pressure. They finish the season 15-0. They take the CIF Pac-5 or Division One championship. Then they blow De La Salle out in the state title game. So shout out to the modern day Monarchs, all my guys over there, JT Daniels, uh, Nico Remigio, CJ Parks, Coa Gonzalez, Tommy Brown, Chris Murray, 
Miles Moreo, Mason Kolinchek, all those guys on the offensive side. And, and shout out to the defensive guys, Stephon Robbins, Solo Tulia Pupu, Mace Funa, all you guys up over there, man. Nathan Logaleo, congratulations. There's been a lot of things said about this modern day team. Best team money can buy. This, that, and the third. Listen, I don't care about any of that. All I care about is what happens between the lines. Between the lines, you guys play with unbelievable passion, tremendous teamwork, discipline, physicality, and execution. And me as a former coach, I can really, really respect that. So shout out to the Modern Day Monarchs. They are the number one team in Southern California. They are the number one team in the state of California. They are the number one team in the nation. And that national championship is theirs. Monarchs, 2017, take over. It'll be interesting to see how that team kind of moves forward this offseason and, and, and what the free agency looks like kind of going into 2018. But that's for another show. Really quickly want to shout out Crenshaw High School. They didn't win the city, which is interesting. We talked about this on the last show. They didn't win the city. Runner-ups to Narbonne. But they the city section gets two places, two spots in the state championship game. Crenshaw got a spot. They go in and win. I don't even know who they played. But they go in and win. Isaiah Johnson throws five touchdowns. So shout out to him. I'm sure he threw a couple to Rayshon Williams. He's a big time 6'4 receiver who's got a tremendous catch radius and athleticism. And uh, Robert Garrett, Coach Robert Garrett, gets a state championship. His first. And then the guy's been coaching for almost 30 years, I believe. So uh, shout out to Coach Robert Garrett and the Crenshaw Cougars for getting it done in a big time game. We got a big-time interview with state championship quarterback Caden Bennett. It's about time we go to it. All right, now we'd like to welcome in superstar quarterback from the Sacramento area, my man Caden Bennett, the junior quarterback from Folsom High School and newly crowned state championship. Caden, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Hey, man, so let's just jump right in, man. I mean, what a big-time season you had this year. Over 4,000 yards passing, over 1,000 yard rushing. Your team wins a state championship. That was big time, man. Tell me about the state championship game that you that you played this past weekend. Tell me about that matchup with Helix, what you thought going in, and then how it transpired. Uh, just going in, we uh, we had a good game plan going in against them. Uh, I felt like we were... Uh, we were real ready. We were locked and loaded. That's what we were uh, working for the whole season. So uh, everybody was determined to win and everything. And uh, we just we just had success throughout the game. We uh, we saw a lot of different things throughout the game, and like the empty set and everything, where we could uh, we can get uh, cover zero. Yeah. Just getting up the field and uh, just different things like that. And uh, I was able to use my ability to make plays and get the ball to my playmakers, and it, it was a good, it was a good day for me. Yeah. No. Team. Yeah, no question about it. So the game seemed to open up for you when when coach started giving you a lot of quarterback sweeps, kind of quarterback runs to really soften that defense up, man. Tell me when the when the coach signals in quarterback sweep or draw or whatever the case may be, what's going through your mind? Uh, man, I just want to score. I, uh, throughout the season, I've been able to make some big plays on the uh, outside zone and uh, different things like that. So I, that's my first thing is that I want to score. So Folsom High School, the legendary thing about Folsom down here in Southern California, we know Folsom came down to Southern California one year and they beat a legendary Sarah squad 
in the state championship game. They didn't just beat them. They smacked them. Yeah. <laughs> we talked a little bit kind of off mic. Folsom has now won nine out of the last ten section championships up there in your area. And they've won three state titles in the last ten years. Are you guys a dynasty now at Folsom? Uh, I mean, you could say that uh, throughout the years we've found a lot of success. And, uh, I don't know if it's a dynasty. Yet. we still got a lot more work to do, but it's getting there. What makes this Folsom program so great? I mean, is it is it all the, the five-star athletes? Is it the tremendous coaching? Is it the commitment level? Is it the discipline, the hard work? What is it? What's the secret sauce in this Folsom kind of dynasty that you guys have now created? Uh, I mean, the, uh, it's pretty much everything that you just uh, labeled off. Coaching is uh, amazing. The uh, coaches, they put a lot of time and work into uh, making us the best team we can be, uh, we're a detailed team. We're real detailed, and I put, we do a lot of film work and practice. We practice year-round. So just, uh, just that tip, different stuff just gets us ready for uh, the season and everything. So pretty much everything, commitment, the teamwork, the chemistry. We uh, A lot of the guys on the team, we all, we all brothers, so that helps out a lot, so everything like that. No tracking, no no doubt about it. Let's jump into recruiting really quickly. So, um, in terms of recruiting, you in particular, where does that stand? Have you do you have any offers on the table? Who's coming after you right now? Uh, I got a couple colleges coming in and out. Uh, a couple colleges came to see me, but I don't have any offers right now. Okay, well, that, listen, you're a 2019 kid, so things are just kind of starting slowly. But there's no doubt on the back end, people are going to be coming after you. I can definitely see you at a program um, that's that's trying to elevate, right? You're you're a, you're a young guy. You got a ton of energy. You play with that chip on your shoulder as a quarterback. Some college is going to come in and they're going to want you to lift them up from the depths of despair and kind of turn their program around. How do you feel about that? Do you want to go to a? Does it matter to you? Do you want to go to a big name school? Where they're already winning and have a bunch of great players, or do you want to go to a school that's struggling a little bit and they need some leadership and they need somebody to lead them to the promised land? Uh, I can do I can do either one. I uh, just want to go to school. I'm a winning player. I like to win. Uh, I help. I think I help my team out a lot to win. So anywhere I go, I just that's just a thing on my uh, mind. Just winning. Uh, it doesn't really matter. No question about it. So. In terms of recruiting as well, let's talk a little bit about your off-season plans. You you plan on attending any camps, uh, any college camps, anything like that to kind of get your exposure? I mean, I don't know why you need exposure. You threw for four thousand yards, ran for a thousand. I mean, you like you like a running back with the football, and then you like a Russell Wilson as a quarterback throwing the ball. So I'm not sure what everybody's waiting on, but I'm putting my stamp on Kate Bennett as a big time player. But what's your plan for the offseason? You plan on kind of chasing some scholarships, tech, going to some camps, getting some more exposure? Uh, my plan over the offseason is just getting more into the uh, film room and just uh, learning more about the game. Uh, I still got a lot to learn about the game and just getting myself ready for next year. Uh, not really not really physically, but mentally. Yeah. And I just want to make sure I'm ready for uh, next season in that aspect and just knowing I need to uh, – I just I just got a lot more to work on. Even though I had a great season, there's just so much more for me to work on. So it's just really just uh, just a little thing that I need to work on. I don't think I'm going to go too many camps or nothing. Sure, that and that's a great response. 
Um, and, I, and I definitely think you got your head on your shoulders correctly, man. But listen, Caden, I appreciate you joining the show. Um, best of luck this offseason. I know those scholarships or offers are going to start rolling in, but congratulations on a terrific year, a state championship, a section championship, and then hopefully we'll see you back in Cerritos, California next year for a state championship. You can kind of have a repeat performance. What do you think? Yeah, that's the plan. That's uh, we we definitely can. We're a young team. Uh, this year we're coming back with a lot of seniors. So that's that's the plan to get back there, play some big name schools and everything. So no, no doubt. So appreciate you. It's my man Caden Bennett, the quarterback from Folsom High School, the state championship quarterback from Folsom High School with a terrific year, over four thousand yards passing, over a thousand yards rushing, and a big time winner. We appreciate you joining the Transparent Truth. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, I appreciate Caden coming on and, uh, you know, talking a little bit about the game, a little bit about recruiting. And uh, I really want to congratulate him and his Folsom program and the team on a job well done. Helix was a good football team. And uh, Folsom went in there and they took care of Bennett. And Caden Bennett was spectacular, man. And uh, nothing but love and respect for that kid. I've been watching him all year, and, man, he can really go. Somebody's going to get a winner when they sign him. There's no doubt about it. All right, we'd like to welcome back my partner, my co-host, my friend, Greg Biggins. He's back. We're going to talk TBE, maybe the best team ever from Southern California, modern day GB. What do you, give, give, me your, give me your initial thoughts on modern day being the best team ever. Yeah, so I mean, obviously it's a very subjective argument, and it's a, it's a great way to get people riled up. You know, on the uh, on little sports, unlimited Facebook pages, everyone, no way, right? That's the initial reaction. But now, when you break it down, I mean, I heard the stat over the weekend. They didn't trail one time this whole entire season. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's incredible. And they played a, a really good schedule. They played in the toughest league in, in America. You you did a Thursday night deal in the Trinity League, so this this was one of the better Trinity leagues. I've seen in a long time, and I think for you too, they ran through that. Yeah. They basically had one close game. That was against Bosco the first time. When we said it, Bosco, uh, you know, played just okay. I think they thought they were going to come back the second time and, and play. That was Barney's worst game ever by far of the year in that first game. They were able to bounce back, pounded Bosco pretty handily the second time around. They beat up on everybody. They hammered a really good undefeated Mission Viejo team. They beat up a Bishop Gorman team that ended up being maybe better than we thought they were when they played them. Uh, and that game wasn't as close as, the, you know, I think the score was closer than the actual game. I think Modern Day really controlled Gorman, and the score was closer. They went to the playoffs. They beat Denisal. We can debate, as we did off-air, how good was this year's Denisal team. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as some of the past teams, but just talking about Modern Day, I don't see a whole lot of weaknesses and if we want to have fun and kind of debate it I, I think we can debate 2013 St. John Bosco because when they won a lot of people said okay that's the best team of the last decade of the last 20 years sure. and if you want to just throw some out you know some names about, on that 013 Bosco team that made them so good that was a, a junior Josh Rosen probably his best year with his junior year you had a sophomore Sean McGrew who was really really good that year, he had the seven touchdowns against Centennial uh, in that semifinal game that people still kind of talk a little bit about. They were huge up front. Damon Mama and 
Zach Robinson and um, one of the Katnick brothers was on that team as sure. the center, I believe, or the guard. Defensively, Jacob Twitty Mariner, Blake Dorton, um, Kellen Lanou had like 200 tackles. The secondary had Nigel. And the best one on the team was Dylan Wazood on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Uh, he was also their leading receiver. Him and Shea Fields were their two leading receivers. So Jalil would play safety and he was a receiver. Um, Taylor Hawkins was their other corner. Again, just it would be a. They were physical. They they were like this year, or I would say they were like last year's Bosco team. Just in the pure physicality of it, just mm-hmm. on both sides of the line, how they played, kind of the intimidation factor. Um, I, I just think this year's modern A team, the different. I think the edge that they would have, they just have a lot more weapons. Yeah, you know they had Sheffield, Deliwa, dude. You know modern A's got five guys. Uh, you know, sophomore Sean McGrew, the offensive line was really, really good. It would have been a battle. It would have been tough for Barney's front seven, especially if Solo's not playing. But I, I don't know. Just just using the eyeball test, I, I think just this year's modern A team just looks like they had a little bit, a bit, a bit, little bit of an edge. If they played five t- five times, I think modern A would probably win at least three of those, just comparing those two teams. And, uh, again, I think they would have – they don't take advantage of a little bit of the, of the secondary – um, you know, I always liked Nigel Hill, but he wasn't really an explosive athlete. You know, he's very clutchy, grabby. There's no way he's covering Amon Ra. Yeah. Nobody's covering Brew McCoy. Jalil would have been exceptional. But when you've got four guys you can put out there, it, it would have been tough. Um, I think JT would have had some, you know, would have had some, some time to throw the football. And I, I just, I give them a little bit of edge just because they had more explosiveness. You know, Sean McGrew was great. Rosen was great. I, I just lean a little bit toward modern day for comparing those two teams. What uh, What do you think about that? I know you saw the 2013 Bosco team a little bit as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I did see the 2013 Bosco team, and and I've pretty much watched modern day every game this year. What stands out to me the most, Greg, is you talked about Jaleel Wadu and Sheffield was kind of like their best players on that team, you know, as far as you know, seniors. Uh, and of course, Josh Rosen was really good. I don't want to take nothing away from him, but like. Shea Fields, no disrespect to Shea Fields and Jaleel Wadu, but they're not special, right? They're good football players. They're not special. But he's got special players. And I think at the quarterback position, it's probably a wash. I think we could call it a wash um, for all intents and purposes. From the running back position, um, I'm, I might edge to Sean McGrew maybe a little bit. Uh, I love Street. I love Jacoby Harper. But McGrew, was, he was phenomenal his sophomore year. Of course, he ran behind a huge line at – Gave him big holes to run through. The offensive line on both sides, eh, I don't know. I don't know, Greg. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the Bosco offensive line that well. How do you see the offensive lines on both sides kind of match it, fairing up? You know, modern day's line was more technical. Okay, you kind of watch them. They're, they're just so fundamental. Yes. They're such a unit where Bosco was just a bunch of just grown men just steamrolling you. They were huge. Right. They are bigger. They were big. I mean, David Mama was 325 pounds. Right. And he was one tackle. Uh, Zach Robertson, went to, who's at a- ASU right ASU, now, yep. he was the, he played next to him as a guard. Uh, Katnick was a, a mauler. I mean, these guys just physically just mauled people. That's that's how they, they kind of just beat you up a little bit. Right. Uh, whereas the modern day line, they're just so efficient, technical. That's not saying modern day guys weren't, but it just it's just kind of like you watch some lines, and it's kind of like you know one one team was kind of more precise, technical. Yeah. Other ones were just. Yeah. Steamrolling, sure. road grader, you know, eat raw flesh meat. That's kind of how I. But they're both really effective, just effective in different ways. Both both teams pass block pretty well. 
Yeah, JT was never touched. Josh was never really touched or harassed too much. Um, you know, JT, I went, couldn't say this before the year started, but he was ended up he was a, a more mobile, athletic quarterback. Although Josh actually could run in high school and yeah, ran his own read pretty well, but he, he stopped doing that. But I still give JT a little bit of an edge there. But uh, I just think you know, Brew McCoy and Amon Ra would have been brutal matchups for Chandler Hawkins and Nigel Hale. And then, yeah, that's a mismatch. You know, Jalil would have been dominant. Jalil was a, you know, he mentioned not special, but he was a really good high school player. He yes. was a special high school player on both sides. Okay. <clears throat> you know, the young modern-day secondary, um, you know, Sheffield was fast. You know, he could run. He can get behind a defense. So you, you get schemes now coming to play. I think linebackers, you know, again, Chandler Lanou was a tackling machine in high school. Uh, they had a couple other guys that were really good, too, on that 0-13 Bosco defense yeah. that played linebacker, um, and they were really—I mean, they were dominant. They, they beat Dana Sal. I think it was twenty to fourteen in the final. Yeah, but it wasn't—it wasn't that close. It was—they were really—they were never really dominant. threatened, from what I understand. It was they had two touchdowns called back. Yeah, um, you know there was there was a deep the last possession of the game. Dana Sal threw a deep ball, and the guy had beaten Nigel by about a yard and a half. And I thought it was going to be a touchdown. You're going to kick the extra point. You're going to beat these guys. That's what it felt like. And then the ball was overthrown by a yard. Wow. So, I mean, Bosco was, almost lost that one on that, you know, you're calling, like, just keep everything in front of you. But Christian uh, uh, Holland, another good player. I got to mention him. He's a linebacker, really good linebacker on that Bosco team, 100 tackles. But overall, I, I just, I feel like it would have been a great game. It would have been a really fun game. It would have been smash mouth versus kind of more finesse. But I just feel like got Marday's weapons and how they can protect JT, and then kind of mix it up a little bit. They yeah. can run it if you if you want to drop eight. They can throw it if you try to blitz them, and then you know defensively could they have pressured uh, Josh Rosen? I, I think they could have because I think Eric Johnson, the DC, is so dynamic with his schemes. And mm. although I loved how mauling and how physical that Bosco O line was, they, they, they would have been tough to kind of keep Brew McCoy and, and Lagaleo off that edge, you know, they were, they were, those guys are so big, but they weren't as, as mobile to handle maybe some of those guys. Again, brew off the edge, like a lay off the edge. They would have been dialed up some kind of, you know, linebacker blitzes. You got Mace Luna coming here. You got Solo up the middle. He's yep. healthy, which just for the fun, let's say everybody's healthy for, yeah. for this game. So it would have been a fun one, but uh, I, I lean a little bit. Toward, toward this year's modern-day team, if we're, if we're comparing those two teams. You know, what's intriguing to me is <clears throat> there's one ball in the air Bosco may have lost to De La Salle, right? Um, and then they played Centennial in the regional, I guess it was. And my, my, you know, my memory's a little fuzzy, but didn't Centennial put about, about 70 points on them or something like that? No, no, that was, this is, that was a different year. This, this was okay. Bosco put up 70 on them. Okay, so that wasn't a close game then. That that wasn't a close game. Like Centennial might have scored a lot late, but that was that was an absolute just an absolute demolition. Shaman grew seven touchdowns. Okay, and uh, it, it was yeah that that was that was not close. Yeah, so I mean, look at if I look at it by position for position, I'm taking the matchup of modern day's defensive backs who have shown up really well all season versus Bosco's receivers over. Bosco's defensive backs versus modern day's receivers. Like I think modern day wins on both sides. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think the 
in terms of the offensive line, you have a puncher and then you have a boxer. I think that kind of evens out. Sure. I think JT's athleticism shows up in that game. Um, and then I think, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown and special teams, like you said, the pass rush with Lagaleo, Funa. I mean, they just had, they got multiple guys that are dynamic and with their skill set, you know, in the game. Lagaleo, you can't keep this guy out of the backfield. Funa, he's everywhere. Brew is a legit, you know, five star pass rusher. Just too many special players for me for modern day. The Bosco 2013 was dominant, uh, but I see holes there. I see holes in their defensive secondary. Um, I see holes with uh, their ability to push the ball downfield versus the pass rush of that modern day front. And then Elias Ricks is a, is a shutdown corner. Uh, Darian Green Warren is a lockdown specialist. These guys play big time football. And uh, and and I don't see, I see in five games out of f- five games in five games I see modern day winning four of those. Yeah, I think, I, I think Bosco. You know, the strategy would be to run first again. Big, they're big ballers up front. Nobody you know, ran against modern day. I don't think they played against an offensive line like like this Bosco's team. This Bosco's team would have been the better, the best offensive line by far. Okay. Uh, yeah. So and then again, McGrew was really really quick. Um, I think the tougher, tougher part for me would be just how does Bosco, can they pressure JT? I mean, again, their, their best pass rusher was Jacob Tweedy Mariner, who's good. I mean, he was a good player. UCLA starter for a couple sure. of years, right? Sure. But he was kind of the main guy who rushed the pass. Then Blake Dorton also is at USC now. Um, you know, he was solid inside outside guy. Not special. Not special, GB. I, I think, I think they would have been able to protect JT. Yeah. I don't know if, if Bosco could protect Josh, I, I think I think Shea could, and Jalil could have gotten open uh, against. Yeah, you know, I love the Marty guys like you do. I love Elias and Darian and, and Alafazio and Robbins. And Robin. Yeah, I like all those guys. But you know, I, I think Josh was so accurate and so pinpoint, and, and the way Shea could run and Jalil, which is such a smart football player, they would have found some teams to get open. Mm-hmm. It just, I think the key would have been, can they score with Modern Day? And does Modern Day? You know, how do they do they have to load the box to stop the run against McGrew, or can they do it with just five, six guys? Right. No one could do that against Bosco that whole entire year. They only scored twenty points against Data Sal, but again, a couple of touchdowns called back. And honestly, the Data Sal team that played Bosco in two thousand thirteen was much better than this year's team that played against Modern Day. Yeah. Or even last year's team that played against Bosco. So but like you, um, you know, in a five game series I give a little bit of an edge to to modern day. So uh, let's move on. Let's move on from that. I think another team. We're kind of going in. in uh, Wait, but before you move on, GB. Oh, okay. Hot okay. off the presses. Yeah. Speaking of JT Daniels, was is newly named the Gatorade National Player of the Year as a junior. Hot off the presses, although we, no one's going to hear it till tomorrow. Yeah, hot, nobody's going to hear it till tomorrow. <laughs> we don't break any stories, man. We yeah. don't have to break anything. JT Daniels, so how about that? JT. National, JT. yeah. Yeah, good for you. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, congrats to JT. I mean, that's a big-time accomplishment, especially <laughs> as a junior. That's a great honor. Yeah. yeah. That's a team, definitely a team award. No right? question about would, it. He doesn't get that without being undefeated. I'm sure he would say that. So, um, another team, and for me, 
I don't know if they're in the the argument. I think 2013 Bosco would beat this team, but people want to talk about the, the 2009 Sarah team. And I, I think the people want to talk about it is because they have four receivers with NFL experience on that one team. Talking about Robert Woods, George Farmer, Marquis Lee, and Paul Richardson. Here's the problem with that team in that argument, and I actually saw this team very, very closely. Uh, what, what the opening is, is now back at that time it was called it was it was called the the opening was called the, the Nike Seven on, yeah. and we invited eight high school teams to come out. It wasn't an all star format; it was eight high school teams. So okay, we brought Sarah out, and and on that that team, Marquise Lee was he was a junior; he barely even played receiver. So people are saying, "Oh, Marquise." In high school, I think on that team, he caught like five balls. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Saying, Marquise, Robert Woods would be on my all-decade team. Robert he Woods would be special. every bit as good as Amon Ross St. Brown for me. If I'm doing an all-20-year team, yeah. the best I've ever seen, it, Amon Ra, it'd be Robert Woods, it'd be Deshaun Jackson. Those would be my three guys. So Wood, Woody would have been, no one would have touched him. George Farmer would, was really good. I would rank him behind Amon Ron Brew McCoy as a pure receiver. Yeah. And then Paul Richardson was also really good as a pro and at, at college. But on that Sarah team, you know, he had like 500 yards receiving. Yeah, he was the third option. So he, it wasn't like he was this dominant guy. People say, well, he's in the NFL. He got a lot better when he got to, that happened. When he got to some Colorado. People, yep. Some people peak early and some people peak later. Yeah. He was a much better college player than he was as a high school guy. So they take with Shea Field. Shea put up numbers at Colorado that I didn't think he was going to do. So, um, but the, the difference, so their quarterback was Connor Preston. You're probably going, who's Connor Preston? Uh, no, I remember Connor Preston. Short, kind of squatty. Short, yeah, 5'11". Kind of shot, put a, the ball out there. Not a great, not a great body. Yeah. Um, Threw for 3,000 yards, but again, we're talking about JT Daniels. You know, you got to give an edge to modern day in that one. They ran the ball a little bit. Um, I, again, I remember their, their running back, Shaq Richard, was a solid running back. I think he had 1,000 yards. Sure. Um, but I think defensively, he, they, yeah. had some, they had some dudes defensively. Um, but they weren't running the ball versus this modern day team. No, I mean Jason Gibson was their was probably their best defensive player. He was you know an outside linebacker, defense man, and going to Cal. And I don't know if he if he played a ton there. Um, they had one of the Fanus, Josh Fanau. There's been like a bunch of them, but he was you know probably their best defensive player. Yeah, I, I just I don't I don't think there's an argument there. <laughs> we, cannot, we can't really make the argument. I'm just no. I always why I brought it up is because when you brought it up, yeah. on Facebook, yeah, people want to talk about the Sarah team because of all the the skill. They had, and I'm saying, take away Marquise Lee because he was not a skilled receiver on that team. He caught five balls that year. He was right. a really good-looking safety, and right. Robert Woods was also a really elite safety. So right. that would have been an interesting matchup, seeing Marquise Lee and Robert Woods play in the secondary. Both those guys were, were really good defensive backs, but up front and just defensively, that would have been tough. Yeah, so, no. They would have got dominated, would have got blown out. Let's move along. The O one Poly team. I I, I got the O one. Let's go 0-1. I know you watched a little bit of the yeah. game. I know you're dying to watch. You probably you're dying for the show to get done. You don't watch the rest of it. No, I mean they. I mean they're featuring Manuel Wright and it says six foot seven, three hundred fifteen pound defensive tackle. You just like my God. They've got a mam- a mammal playing on their defensive line. 
an absolute mammal. But uh, you know this old this old one poly team is. I mean, you talk about talent. I don't know if there's a more talented team than the old one poly team from Southern California. This modern day team is talented. This old one poly team, if you say from sophomore all the way up to senior, I mean, they must have thirty Division One players on this team. It's unbelievable. Every it seems like every guy went Division One. With that being said, I think I, I still give modern day the edge as I'm watching the De La Salle game. I'm seeing De La Salle kind of gash them on the ground. Maurice Jones Drew, we know we kind of ran through their defense like Swiss cheese. Now this is De La Salle, maybe one of the best De La Salle teams that ever did it. But um I don't think this poly team had the type of offense that you would need to keep up with Brew McCoy and JT Daniels and company. I just don't see it. The defense was very good, very fast, very hard-hitting and talented. I don't think they had the offensive execution and cohesion to stay with a modern-day team uh, like this 2017 team. What do you think? I, I, I totally agree. I, and I think, again, I was at this game, but you kind of forget some stuff. And I, I watched the game on, on YouTube before, recently, about a month ago. And I think if you probably saw this right away, like, if you're like me, Pauly quarterback, Brandon Brooks, you watch him throwing the football, and he was not a prolific, accurate thrower no. at all. Like, he threw, let's be honest, a really ugly football. And so they were a ground control, Herschel Dennis, Rory Carrington, huge up front line. I mean, they had men up front. Oh, my God. Winston Justice was on this offensive line. Uh, Kevin Brown who was a junior, went to UCLA as a D-tackle. He was a junior offensive guard, and he was really good on that offensive line. Their whole entire line was just huge up front. Defensive line, Junior Lamau, Kevin Brown, Josh Talanu, uh Talk about Manuel Wright. Um, that secondary with Darnell Bing. They had dudes, but I just think they were a little bit one-dimensional. Yeah. And I think... Just you saw how Dana Sal was able to exploit their over aggressiveness time and time again. A lot of misdirection, a lot of you know throwbacks. I think modern day, this year's modern day team is just so stinking well coached with Eric Johnson and Dave Money calling the plays defensively. That I think they would have out schemed that Poly team, and they would have found a way to win. And if the game's on the line, and you got JT leading the last minute drive versus Brandon Brooks. Paulie's top receiver, you know, on that team might have been, you know, a sophomore, Derek Jones, who at that time wasn't really polished, dropped a lot of balls. First play of the game, Paulie goes deep, he dropped a sure touchdown. He got better. Uh, I always admired Derek for never putting his head down after that game. He, he kept after it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, I just don't think they were dynamic enough or multidimensional enough. And I think this modern A team, offensively so well coached, they would have been able to do what De La Salle did. And that was scheme ways to make plays in the passing game and in the run game. Yeah, this modern day team. I mean, not only the team is complete, the coaching staff is excellent, Greg. As a former coach, as you're watching their games and you're kind of dissecting their game plan as it's transpiring in front of your face, you you understand where they saw the holes at the beginning of the week. You understand how they plan to attack the weaknesses of the defense. Um you understand the scheme that's injected each and every week, the little nuances of the scheme that are injected each and every week. 
Uh, whether it be, you know, let's get the ball out fast early or let's push the ball downfield to our big receiver. Um, or against, you know, like like they did against Gorman, how they brought, you know, multiple pressures on a first-year starting quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And, uh, no, the, the, the coaching staff is A1. The players are talented and physical and fast and smart. They've got generational talent on both sides of the ball. It's, it's just a, it's the best high school team I've ever seen. I've never yeah. seen a high school team this good. And they dominated. They dominated. Nobody came close. That Bosco game was a 10-point game, but they shut Bosco out in the second half. And like you said, it wasn't a great performance by modern day. They had over 150 yards of penalties. But they played them in the rematch, and it was an absolute drubbing. So to me, there's no argument. This is the best team from Southern California that I've ever seen, and this probably that's probably ever did it. I mean, this was a, a phenomenal, phenomenal football team. Yeah, I tend to agree, and I think a lot of it goes to you know modern medicine, right? And I, I just think guys nowadays are just bigger, faster, stronger athletes. Sure, sure. So much better conditioned. These guys train year round. You know, back at uh, you know O one Poly. You know, I mentioned being on campus that week of the day of the Sal game, and just you know the strength program. It, kids just it wasn't like it is today. It just and again, going back to what you piggybacking on the coaching staff at modern day. I mean. They just drill these guys for hours and hours and, and just the film study. And, and that Dennis Sal, you know, I guess if we have that conversation of is the Veer outdated, but I mean, that's a hard defense to defend still. You got to be so disciplined. And in modern day, they missed a few tackles, but they had a guy in position every single every time. Every time, Greg. Every they time. They were never fooled. No. They were never fooled. They, they had guys in the back. They rushed the quarterback. They, you know, they had just. Guys up front, they didn't have their best linebacker. One of the best defensive players in the, in the state, Solomon Tuyapupu, and they still just plugged in other guys that were just studs. And so I would agree with you. I think probably the best Southern California team that I've ever seen, if you throw in the coaching and all that. And then, you know, the other question would be okay, you watched, or we haven't watched the full game, but, you know, how would this team match up against that 0 1? Dan LaSalle team, if we're talking about the greatest team ever. Yeah. Because that 2001 Dan LaSalle team had one thing, well, a lot of things that this year's Dan LaSalle team did. They could actually throw the ball down the field with an elite quarterback, Matt Gutierrez, yeah. who went to Michigan. No disrespect to this year's quarterback, but he really struggled to throw any type of pass. Any And, and I don't know what it is, but I was so disappointed in Dan LaSalle because I've always been a Dan LaSalle homer. They played such a sloppy game, and a lot of those turnovers, they weren't even forced. It was snaps over the punter's head. Yeah, it was bizarre. Passes behind the line of scrimmage that had no chance of being completed. It was just, it was fumbles without any contact. It was, I mean, the game could have been worse. The referees took away a couple of fumble recoveries claiming that the play happened too fast. It was just, that was not the Dennis Al team I was used to growing up. I'm sure you already broke all this down, but I just, I kept feeling for our guy, Nate Kenyon, because. When he played and coached for years, they were the epitome of execution. They were Bret Hart, the Hitman Hart. Yeah, they just executed, and they didn't make mistakes. They were flawless, and they waited for you to make a mistake, and they pounced on it. So they had seven turnovers, or at least it felt like they had seven turnovers. They didn't give them a chance to win. They were down thirteen nothing or fourteen nothing before the game even started because turnover, boom, boom, first position, the second half, another turnover, and it's kind of like, what are you doing, like? Why you turn the ball over? Why are you giving them 
the game, basically, is what it felt like. And I, I was so frustrated. I, I felt bad for Nate and the staff and just those players. They, I mean, no one has more pride than Dana Sal. I, I talked to a couple of the modern day guys afterwards, and they were they couldn't stop talking about how the Dana Sal kids, they, they never quit. Like, he's all, dude, we thought they they never stopped playing hard. Yeah. And that they'll always that that's always going to be their testament. But man, just so many silly fumbles, interceptions, penalties, snaps over the punter. It just it was not like oh one Dennis Al with Gutierrez, Maurice Drew, Derek Landry, yeah. or even the ninety nine team that had DJ Williams, Kevin Simon. You know those were two historical teams for sure. I think those are the two best teams I've ever the two the two best Dennis Al teams I've ever seen. 99 and 01. So it would be fun to see this year's Marty team matched up against those two. That that would be a great argument. But I, I agree with you, kind of a long-winded way of saying, from the California-wise, this is the most complete and the best team I've seen ever, probably. Yeah, there's no question about it. Well, GB, I appreciate you jumping back on. I know it's National Signing Day. And, uh, man, go out there and kill it. Go do what you do. That's why you're the GOAT and the guru. And I look forward to getting you back in studio next week as we break down the all-transparent truth team for the 2017 season. Hey, sounds, sounds good, man. Thanks for piggybacking me this week. Look forward to seeing you next week, brother. I appreciate you. All right, no doubt. Take care. You got, you got it. Well, it's about time to wrap this baby up. It's been one heck of a show. You talk about sitting here knocking this thing out by myself. I miss having my partner GB in studio. But hey, you got to do what you got to do when you got to do it. That's why I'm the coach of the All-Transparent Truth team. Yeah. If you have not downloaded the show on iTunes, do that right now. Make sure you find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow me at Coach Keith underscore MP. We appreciate your love. We appreciate your support. Cannot wait for the 707 circuit to start. We'll be doing shows live from the football fields, having live interviews, live broadcasts. We'll be talking with coaches and parents and players. Also, if you need an evaluation, if you need to know who you are as a football player and how scouts see you right now, DM me. I I have an evaluation service. Also, be looking out for the Transparent Truth Youth version presented by National Sports Report and my guy, Coach Pete. Without further ado, it's time to bring this baby to a close. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name's Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool.